0: Well, we're beginning our series today on heaven and hell. It's gonna be a three week series and the reason that uh, we're starting our series today and I'm gonna preach on hell is we wanna prepare our junior high educators for the coming year. Um, <laughs> start a series called Heaven and Hell. I fought long and hard about calling the series, heaven yes, hell no, but I thought that maybe we probably shouldn't do that. But I preached this series uh, 11 years ago in my previous church. And I want to tell you a quick funny story that happened the night before I preached this the first time. My wife and I were in bed together. We were reading the scriptures and we were reading the part of the Bible where Jesus talked about his resurrection as being similar to childbirth. And Jen reminded me that the Sunday before Sammy was born, my youngest child, um, actually, the day before Sam was born, I preached on that text on childbirth, and she's talked about how she said, "Matt, I've always thought you were kind of prophetic because there's been all these things over the years that you would preach on them, and then within a day or two they'd happen." And then she gave me some examples: Sammy, you know, being born after I taught on childbirth. She reminded me that, and this is true. I taught on suffering, and then two days later is when I got diagnosed as uh, with cancer at 31. And then she reminded me of the time that I taught. I used an illustration of killing a snake. And the day later, I ended up killing a snake in my front yard. And she's like, all these things through the years, you've preached on them. And then within a day or two, they happen. And I'm not very quick-witted, but I was right here. I looked at her and I said, i tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. Since I'm so prophetic, I'm going to scrap my series on heaven and hell. And I'm going to preach on marital sex for the next 12 weeks. She laughed too, and I told you that story because uh, that's the last last time you're going to laugh for the entire rest of this message. So I want you to raise your hand. How many of you ever heard a specific sermon? Not it mentioned, but a specific sermon on heaven in your life. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have heard a not in a conference, but like in a local church? Heard a specific, unique sermon. Solely on the subject of hell. Raise your hand. Okay, that's uh, a little bit older in the nine thirty service. If you want to poke your head in the eleven fifteen, it won't be a third of that. Um, we have gotten to the place in our society where we've stopped doing that. We've stopped talking about the eternal things of heaven and hell, and so that's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. Next week and the following week, I'm going to be teaching on heaven. It's going to be fun. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be comforting. It's going to be an amazing couple of weeks as we get our minds around heaven. But today, I'm going to talk about a place called hell. And for those of you that are new to Sagemont, I want you to know that I am not a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher. I've been in ministry for 27 years, and this will be the second time in 27 years that I've preached on this subject i've mentioned it before, but only the second time I preached on it and so the things you 're going to hear today are incredibly difficult they they're at times they 're almost too much to bear, and so I want you to know that I get no joy whatsoever about preaching this subject, but I do believe it 's one that we desperately need to talk about and here 's why I want to give you three quick reasons: <clears throat> number one first reason that we need to talk about and discuss the subject of hell is because Jesus talked about the subject of hell and he talked about it often. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus talked more about hell than any other person in the entire scripture. Did you know that? He talked about it. Two, he, um, Jesus, um, he talked about the subject of hell actually more times than he talked about the subject of heaven which is fascinating. And so, number one, if he thought it was important enough to talk about it and talk about it often, then I think we need to talk about it, all right? And so that's the first reason. Here's the second reason. And I think the, if you look at the last three generations that have been born, Gen Z, Millennials, and, and Gen X, which I'm considered Gen X, the overwhelming majority of preachers in those three generations have completely walked away from teaching on the subjects of heaven and hell, And I think not preaching those doctrines are having a profound impact on those generations. One of the repercussions that I'm seeing, and I honestly don't know about boomers, but as I look at Gen X and below, one thing I've noticed is that they are scared to death of death. There's a fear of death in those generations that I think may be more than any generation that I'm aware of before Uh, us. They have a tighter grip on the things of the world. Than any other generation before us. And I'm convinced that's happened because Gen X and below have grown up in churches where they are much more likely to hear a sermon on how to have your best life now or how to have five steps to a better time management than hearing a sermon on the subjects of heaven and hell. And that was simply not the case in generations before us. I want you to, I want to read a quote to you from. Theologian Jonathan Edwards, who is arguably the most important theologian in American history, he was around in the 1700s. But here's his quote: He said, "I resolved to live every day as if I had already seen the torments of hell and the happiness of heaven. I resolved to live every day of my life like I've already seen the torments of hell and the happiness of heaven." And so, again, one of the if not the most important theologian in American history, and he said, I am going to resolve, I'm going to commit myself to live in every day and light of those two realities, but we don't do that. We don't even think about it a lot of time, which brings me to my final reason that we never talk about hell. I think one of the repercussions of that is that a lot of people really are in denial of its existence. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it, much less hear a sermon about it, And I want to tell you an interesting observation that I've seen over 27 years of ministry in regards to the subject of hell. Guys, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals over those 27 years in the course of my life. And here's an interesting observation I've seen. I've never been to a single funeral in my entire life, not one, where the outcome of it all was that the person probably went to hell. And I get that. People probably don't want to get up and, you know, the guy's laying there in casket. And you know what? He was a jerk. Didn't love his family. Didn't love God. Selfish. He's probably in hell. But I mean, that's, I get why that happens. But I find it interesting that every single solitary funeral I've ever been to in my entire life, the outcome uh, of it all is the person always somehow made it to heaven, which I hope that's true. But I say it's interesting because it stands in direct contradiction to the teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 7:13. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so what Jesus just said, this is Jesus, not me, but what he just said is that most people aren't going to heaven. That most people are going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And so for me to teach on the subject of hell, if that's true, if what Jesus says is true, and I'm convinced it is, then for me to teach on the subject of hell is not insensitive, it's not mean, but it's not unloving. But it might be the most loving thing I could ever do for you. It would be like you having cancer and the doctor knowing you had cancer and it was completely curable, but him deciding not to tell you that you had cancer for fear of offending you or being insensitive. That's not sensitive, that's cruelty. And that's why we're talking about it today. So let's jump in. Um, we're going to do three things today. I'm going to answer three questions when we we'll be done. Number one, what's hell going to be like? What's hell going to be like? How long is it going to last? And then why is it going to last that long? So what's hell going to be like? Let's jump into that first question. So what, what's hell going to be like? Before I describe what hell is going to be like, I want to talk for a second about what it's not going to be like. I don't think hell's going to be anything like what You've ever seen in movies or cartoons and how it's been depicted? Did, do we have the cartoon? That I, there we go. Um, I found this this week. It's in hell. Oh, man, the coffee's cold. They thought of everything. There's all these depictions of hell through the years of people laying back, drinking beer, hanging out with their friends, talking about their escapades in the world. Jesus, in his many descriptions of hell, use graphic terms. They're difficult to hear, and they certainly weren't humorous, okay? And so when we talk about this, we're going to go into depth about what he talked about and what it's like. But one of the things that we need to be clear on is that when Jesus spoke about hell and he described hell, he never talked about hell as symbolism. A lot of folks out there beginning to grab hold of that theology that hell is a symbolic picture of our separation from God if we've not trusted in Christ, um, but it's not an actual real place. And I want you to listen though, how Jesus described hell in the parable of the sower. It's Matthew 13, 40. This is again Jesus speaking. He said, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. Watch what he says. He said, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sagemont, Jesus never one time ever described hell as a symbolic picture of our separation from God. Every single time he talked about it, he talked about it as an actual physical place that people go who have not trusted in Christ. And so it's a physical place. Now, as he begins to describe this physical place, that's when it begins to be graphic. One of the first ways, and one of the uh, most often ways he describes hell is he describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, over and over again. Describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? Well, as I got my mind around it, this is when I... The sermon started getting difficult to me, or for me. When you start really thinking deeply about what he's saying, this is hard to, to stomach. First, place is, first thing he says is going to be a place of weeping. So what does that mean? What Jesus is saying is that hell is going to be a place of sorrow. It's going to be a place of sorrow. His point, and this is what hit, what hit me, is that you're not going to be emotionally numb in hell. In hell, you'll retain your ability to feel emotion. And there's one emotion that over and over and over again, Jesus says that you're going to feel, and it's sorrow, which is the opposite of heaven, praise God, because the scripture tells us that in heaven, there will be no sorrow, and that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. But that's not the case in hell. There's an overwhelming emotion we will feel, and it is one of sorrow. He keeps going. He said hell's going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you stop and think about that, that is a really graphic statement. Gnashing of teeth. What, What does it mean to gnash your teeth? Well, it's when something happens, and you're in so much pain or turmoil or whatever, you clench your jaw, and you grind your teeth together. So I was thinking about it. Have there been any situations in my life where I've actually gnashed my teeth, and I could only think of two? The first time I remember gnashing my teeth was I was loading furniture for my future wife, Jennifer, and I fell off the tailgate of the pickup truck, and when I landed, my knee hyperextended and you know knees are, are supposed to go this way, it was bent the opposite direction. When I hit the ground, I remember I was in so much pain that I couldn't scream, I couldn't breathe. The only response that I had was to gnash my teeth. There's only been one other time that I can remember ever doing that, and it was at the death of my mother. And when she passed away, I, was in, I wasn't in physical pain, but I was in so much such horrible emotional pain that I remember that my only response was that I gnashed my teeth. And so over and over again, Jesus says that this place is gonna be a place of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. And if what he's saying is real, He's saying that, that hell's going to be a place of unbearable sorrow and unbearable physical and emotional pain. But he keeps going. And this next way he describes Hell might be worse than that. So look at Matthew 22:11, Matthew 22:11. Jesus is speaking, he says, "But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw, and this is a parable, by the way. When the king came to looking at the guest, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. For in that place there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so not only does Jesus describe hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, But he says it's going to be a place of outer darkness. The word outer is key. He's saying that hell is going to be a place that's outside of the light. That it doesn't have access to the light. Does that just mean it's going to be a dark place? I think it has a deeper meaning than that. And a more profound meaning than that. Here's what I mean. One of the things that we know, and I want you to hear this. One of the things that we know about here on earth is that believers and non-believers alike every single day of their lives experience something that's called the common grace of God. Everybody that's alive right now, as you speak, or as you sit, you breathe air all day long, every day you're experiencing what's called common grace. Now what is common grace? Well, the scripture is clear that God is the source of all good. Y'all with me? Everything good in this world God is the source of it, okay? And because God is the source of all good, even people that hate God here on earth get to experience the good things that God gives us on a daily basis. It's called common grace. So here on earth, believers and non-believers get to experience the goodness of God through things like uh, the warmth of the sun on a cold day, even though they hate God, they get to experience His goodness. Even non believers get to stand on the beach and see the beauty of a sunset. They get to experience the goodness of God who created that sunset for our pleasure and His glory. Even though they hate God, they get to experience that. It's called common grace. Here on earth, even non believers get to experience the common grace of God through things like good food and fellowship and community and joy and pleasure. But check this out, one of the things we know about hell is in hell you are completely separated from the presence of God. And when you are separated from God, then you are separated from the maker of all good. When you're separated from God and you're separated from his presence, you are separated from the source of all good. And so what that means is that in hell there will be no joy. In hell there will be no pleasure. There'll be no community, no fellowship, no beauty, no cool breezes. Jesus simply called it a place of outer darkness, separate from the presence of God, which means that hell will be a place totally devoid of any good. And then he keeps going, <clears throat> if that were not enough. And then Jesus gives us one more description of hell and i think this one is haunting might be the most difficult one if you want to turn to luke 16:19 i'm in the asv luke 16:19 Jesus said, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day, and at the gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered in sores who desired to be fed, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked the sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. That's heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, watch what it says, he said he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So he cries out. He calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He Lazarus, to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in a like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And beside all this between us Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from here to there. And when you stop and think about what Jesus is saying here, it is haunting because what he's saying is this story, it it reflects the point, it points back to the idea that in hell you're gonna retain your desires. That in hell people are gonna retain their memories. They're going to retain their reasoning. They're going to feel regret. They're going to long for relief, but there will be no relief. They're going to long to be comforted, but there will be no comfort. They're going to, be, they're going to long to leave their torment, but they cannot leave their torment. <clears throat> There's a fictional book called Dante's Inferno. It came out a long time ago. It about the subject of hell. And as you entered into hell, there was a sign over the doorway into hell, and here's what it said. It said, ye who enter here, abandon all hope. And that might be the worst thing about hell besides you being separated from the presence of God is you have no hope. And that is hard to stomach. And that's why I'm not gonna go into detail about the more graphic stuff that Jesus said when he described it as a place of unquenchable fire? Was he described it as a place where the unrighteous are cut to pieces? And where he described it as a place where the worm never dies? Now, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound fun to me. But that brings us to our second question. <clears throat> How long is it gonna last? How long is this gonna last? Well, there's a rise, excuse me, in a lot of Christian circles of a theory called denialism or annihilation. And it's the theology that once you die, it's over. You're gone. You, You don't live eternally in hell if you're a sinner. If you never trust in Christ, your Lord and Savior, you just cease to exist. But let me show you in Matthew 25, turn to Matthew 25, verse 46. He's gathered, this is judgment day. He's gathered the whole world, everybody that's ever lived before the throne of God. He puts the righteous on his right. He puts the unrighteous, those who have not trusted in Christ, on his left. And then he begins to speak to them, and when he speaks to them, he, he talks about how long hell is going to last. He says it, Matthew 25, 46, and he says, these will go away, talking about those on his left, these will go away into eternal punishment the righteous, into eternal life. Theologians have done mental gymnastics to try to get that word eternal, not to mean eternal. You know what eternal means in the Greek? It means eternal. It means forever. So that brings to the final question. Why? Why does hell last forever? Because if you're anything like me, you're about in this point of the sermon when you're hearing about unquenchable fire, unrighteous cut to pieces, worm never dies, outer darkness. If you're anything like me, you're hearing that and going, uh oh, wow, God, we ate an apple for crying out loud. We ate an apple in and, and you're talking about forever? Jesus, because if what you're saying is true, I don't want to go through that for 60 seconds. Can I get an amen? amen. I, don't want to get, I don't want to go through it for a one minute, much less an hour, much less a day, much less a year, much less for eternity. <clears throat> from a human perspective, it seems like this massive divine overreaction. Recently, we're a quote from a former Christian theologian. He left the faith over this issue. Here's the the quote. He said, I consider the concept of hell and endless torment and body and mind an outrageous doctrine. How can Christians possibly project a deity of such cruelty and vindictiveness whose ways include everlasting torture upon his creatures however sinful they might have been? Now I get it, I get what he's saying However uninformed it is, I get what the man is saying, but let me say a couple things. First of all, that's an incredibly arrogant statement because who are we to impose our sense of justice on Almighty God? He's God, guys. He's God. He is the eternal, almighty all-powerful, all-holy, transcendent, glorifying God of the universe. We cannot impose our sense of judgment on Him. It's arrogant as that can ever be. But here's the other thing I want to show you really quickly is I want to show you that, that the idea of eternal consequences for our sin against God actually makes all the sense in the world. And it's a logic that everybody in this room lives by every day of your entire lives. I shared this about a year ago, but I can't think of a better illustration of how to talk about this than this. And so I'm gonna talk about that real quick. If you don't hear anything I say today, that's not true. I got two things I really want you to hear, but this is important. Check this out. Here's the logic we all agree with. Everybody here agrees with it. When you sin against someone, The punishment you receive for that sin is always proportionate to the authority of the person you sinned against. So when you sin against somebody, the punishment you receive for that sin is always equal to the authority of the person you sinned against. So let's take the example of lying. God said... God commanded, thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. Everybody in this room has done that. I wanted to pick a sin that we've all done. So every single person in this room has broken God's commandment. We've broken God's law. And by the way, if you're here and you say, Matt, I've never lied, well, you just lied, and now you qualify for this illustration. The punishment you receive is always proportionate to the authority of the person you sin against. So let's, let's say that you lied to your friend. You've got a friend, you lied to him. What are the consequences for lying to your friend? It's not much. They probably get mad at you. Don't talk to you for a while. The consequences for lying to your friend are not that severe because your friend really doesn't have any authority in your life. And so let's do this. I want to raise the authority a little bit. And I want you to see when we raise the authority of the person sinned against how the consequences increase. Let's say when you're a kid, you lie to your parents. What happens? If you grew up in my house, you got beat down in the name of Jesus, right? (laughs) As I got older, what I did for my kids is I took away their phone, which I would have taken, my kid will take a beating any day before you take away his phone. But listen, it's the same sin. It's lying. But the consequences got a little bigger. You got beat down in the name of Jesus. Why does the same sin have a higher consequence? It's because the authority of your parents are a little bit higher than the authority of your friend, even though it's the exact same sin. Let's, uh, let's take the sin of lying, but let's raise the authority again. What happens when you lie to your boss? It's the exact same sin, but you lie to your boss. Does he spank you? Does he take away your phone? No, he fires you. You lose your job. The consequences are higher because the authority of the person is higher. Let's keep going. Let's raise the authority of, again. Let's say you're, you're a, a key witness in a, you know, a trial and you are in front of a jury, grand jury, something like that. You're in front of a judge and you give false witness. You lie. It's the same sin, but what happens to you? Well, first of all, The authority has gotten higher enough where they don't even call it lying anymore. They got a new name for it. It's called perjury. What happens? Do you you lose your job? No, you go to jail. It's a higher consequence than lying to your boss because a jury and a judge has a higher authority in your life than the boss does. Let's raise the authority again. For the overwhelming majority of human history Countries, kingdoms were ruled not by democracies, but by kings. It was a monarchy. So what happened if you lied to a king? If you lied to it off with your head, that's exactly right. You don't get grounded. You don't lose your job. If the king was in a bad mood, you didn't lose your, your job, you didn't go to jail. If you lied to a king, he'd, he'd kill you. It's the exact same sin. Why are the consequences higher? Because the authority is higher in your life. And so let's raise the authority one final time God. How big is the authority of Almighty God? Is the authority of Almighty God big? No, it's infinite. It's not big. You can measure big. You can't measure infinite. And the authority of Almighty God in our lives is infinite. And so listen, the authority of an earthly king is literally like a single drop of rain in the Pacific Ocean of the authority of Almighty God. And so when an infinitely holy God says, thou shalt not bear false witness, and you do it, you didn't sin against a big authority, you sinned against an infinite authority. And the punishment for any offense is always equal to the authority of the one you sinned against. So a person that's saying that God is being cruel and vindictive no matter how much a person sinned, is a person that has absolutely no comprehension whatsoever of the power and the majesty and the holiness of Almighty God. Now, I'm almost done, but I want to read one more verse to you. It's Romans 6.23, and I want you to pay careful attention to it. You've heard it, if you're in church, you've heard it a long, long thousand times, but I want you to see it and hear it today with fresh ears. Just gonna look at the first part of the verse in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. You now know why that statement is true. The wages or the payment for your sin is not just death. When you look at the Greek, that means eternal death. So the payment you receive for your sin is eternal death. And that statement ought to now make all the sense in the world to you and it should not Be shocking anymore. But in light of what we just learned, I want us to read the last part of the verse. Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, let that sink in, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You want to talk about shocking? That statement's shocking. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is shocking. For even though we sinned against and rebelled against and spit upon an infinitely holy God, not just once, but over and over and over and over every day of our lives, he gives us the opportunity not to receive infinite death in hell, but he gives us the opportunity to receive infinite life in heaven with him through Jesus Christ. That's shocking. And a God that was completely justified and wiping us out and sending us to hell, he gives us the opportunity to go to heaven with him. Why? Because in the most loving act in the history of the entire world, God came to this planet and he put on our flesh and he went to the cross and he died. God died on the cross to take our infinite punishment for us. That ought to shock you. So we got to get to the place where we stop saying that God sends people to hell. Because God does not send people to hell. Your sin sends you to hell. My sin sends us to hell. And if you go to hell, it's not because God sent you. It's because you made the conscious choice not to receive the shocking, amazing, unmerited, beautiful, amazing, infinitely loving gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's because you made the choice. And I've thought long and hard about how to end this message. (sighs) Because it's not easy to end. Like okay, hell's real, it's gonna be bad. Let's go eat lunch. Like, how do you, how do you end it? So I've long and hard about it. And I'm going to say something that I actually said about six months ago. Some of y'all, will, most of you will remember it. But I couldn't think of a better way to end it. I'll try not to do that. I'll try not to repeat myself. But I couldn't think of a better way, so you're going to hear it twice. In Jesus' name, here we go. Heaven and hell are a choice. They really are. And if you still have breath in your lungs right now, that choice is right before you. You still can make the choice today. You have the choice to look at the Lord and tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have offended your infinite authority. And therefore, I deserve infinite punishment. And so because of that, I need someone come and make the payment for my sin and take my sin away from me so that I can be forgiven. And so I want to trust today in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross in order to pay that penalty. I trust in him to cover me and take my sin away so that I can receive the free gift that you're offering of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is your choice right now if you still have breath in your lungs but if you do not If you refuse to, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I say this in the most pastoral way I know how to say it. If you don't want to do that, you need to walk out those doors today. And while you can, you need to enjoy God's common grace. While you can, go enjoy the pleasures of this life. Enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. Go to the beach. Enjoy the sunsets and the beauty. Leave this place today. Enjoy good friends and good food and community and fellowship and love and pleasure and joy while you can here on earth. Enjoy those things. Because if you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, This earth is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. But for those of us who trust in Christ today, who have our sins forgiven, I think one, guys, I I think this message, as we hear it, it ought to produce in us a really profound sorrow for people that don't know Jesus. And that sorrow ought to produce in us an urgency to go tell people about how to receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't see how you hear like, oh, hell, that's cool, learn something. Let's go, let's leave. Let's go on with our life. It ought to change us. But in addition to it producing us a profound sense of sorrow at the exact same time, this message ought to produce in us a profound sense of joy. Because is it hitting you today? Is it hitting you what this means? What ought to be hitting you is this, is that Jesus Christ has overcome what sent us to hell. He's overcome sin. And when he overcame sin, he overcame death. And when he overcame death, he overcame hell. And because Jesus Christ overcame sin, death, and hell, if you're in him, you've overcome sin, death, and hell. And because of that, and because of that, Christian that you are loved and saved by the one that's overcome sin, death, and hell. Christian, walk out these doors and endure this world. Endure it. Endure its suffering. Listen, endure, endure it. Endure its pain. Endure its loneliness. Endure its sickness and cancer and nonsense and heart disease and strokes. Endure its trials. Endure its persecution. Endure its slander. And all through that stuff that you're enduring, you can praise God all the way through it. And here's why. Because of Jesus Christ, this earth is as close to hell as you and I are ever going to get. So let's pray.